Chapter Thirteen of Grace Harlow with the Marines at Chateau Thierry by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen Responding to Duty's Call. Breakfast was a rather hurried meal next morning, for all hands got up late owing to the hours they had kept the night before. All the girls except Anne and Miriam, who were on leave, left the place to take up their duties, and late in the morning they too went out when Tom and Grace started out, Grace walking with her cane. Tom escorted Grace to Red Cross headquarters where she wished to go, and then went on to be measured for the suit that Grace wanted him to get, though he was not particularly enthusiastic over that mission. Mr. Davis had arrived but a few moments before Grace and was engaged, so she set in her card and sat down to wait. She was summoned to Mr. Davis's office almost immediately. A French officer was in the room and Grace nodded as he arose, for she thought she knew him. Lieutenant Fonchet, Mrs. Gray, introduced Mr. Davis. The lieutenant called the day before yesterday to see you, but I neglected to tell you of his call. He knew you were expected to be here at that time. The French seemed to know everything, smiled Grace with an expression of inquiry on her face. Mr. Davis left the room after excusing himself. Madame Gray, began Lieutenant Fonchet, you undoubtedly do not remember me. I remember you quite well, sir. You were from the Bureau of Information, and you were one of the officers who considered my case in a certain affair on which I was detained. What am I accused of this time? she demanded smilingly. You have a most excellent memory, Madame Gray. First, permit me to congratulate you for the decoration you were wearing. It is also the wish of my chief that I offer you also his congratulations. The Croix de Guerre, thank you. I am here, however, to offer you a warning, not to question you in particular. France still owes you something, and especially the Bureau of Information. A warning, sir? I do not understand. Madame, there is a price on your head. A what? Grace was astounded. A price, as you would call it? A reward? Do you not understand? The Huns are no respecters of women, and you have most grievously offended them. Grace's face relaxed into a smile. After Bellow Wood they have reason to hold a grudge against quite a number of persons besides myself. I fear you still do not understand. The Countess de Beaupre was brought to justice because of your efforts, but the principal spy escaped. I refer to the man Andre. Later on you were directly responsible for his... for his disappearance, we will call it, but unfortunately there are other agents of the enemy in France, and the Germans know whom to thank for the loss of two of their most noted ones. Do you understand now, Madame Gray? I... I think so, sir. What is the price? It would be interesting to know what the enemy considers that I am worth. The price is death, Mrs. Gray. Remember Edith Cavell. You could expect nothing less were you to fall into the hands of the enemy. Grace was eyeing him steadily, her face a little more pale than ordinarily, but that was all. Thank you, Lieutenant. This is most interesting, and I wish you would thank your chief for his consideration. 
the captain thought that perhaps you might find it convenient to take up your original work well back of the lines instead of so exposing yourself up near the front i must take my chances just the same as any soldier sir feeling as i do that my work lies up there work that i am fitted for work that i love so long as my superiors will permit it i shall remain there unless the lieutenant bowed profoundly you should have been a frenchwoman madame for the spirit of france is truly typified in you i honour you and i will say that were you a frenchwoman you would do exactly as you have signified your intention of doing may the kind fates watch over you the lieutenant rose and bowing low over grace harlowe's hand kissed it lightly straightened up and saluted which salute grace answered smartly a price on my head murmured grace still standing in the middle of the red cross official's office edith cavell she shrugged her shoulders in true french fashion and sat down leaning her elbow on the desk chin in hand this must have been what mabel referred to though i hardly think she knew what the officer from the department of the sign wished to see me about i must ask mabel and above all tom must not know about this how these french secret service men find out things is almost uncanny and as a matter of fact the enemy ways are fully as dark and mysterious this is an instance where one woman at least will keep a secret mr davis came in a few moments later and grace after asking if there were anything he wished her to do and receiving a negative answer went out and did some shopping meeting her husband at the grand hotel only a few hours drive from this grim terrible war murmured grace reflectively one can scarcely imagine it we can for we have been there answered tom you still feel that you must go back yes tom just as you know that you must you know that i am right i suppose you are but i can't make it seem right i never felt this way about it before however you and i are soldiers my loyal heart and we will remain soldiers true to our standards until the end we will agreed grace and they clasped hands across the table their eyes meeting and holding each other steadily for a few brief seconds grace had been in paris a week when she was sent for by mr davis who inquired particularly as to her physical condition grace told him that she considered herself in perfect condition that while there was still a slight lameness the wounded leg had healed you have something in mind mr davis she questioned as a matter of fact i have of course you intend to return to your ambulance work grace said that was her intention then mr davis told her that conditions at the front were far from satisfactory that the french were giving way and that the marines were still battling at chateau thierry with very heavy casualties and that the result was still in doubt no mr davis i cannot agree with you in that latter statement the result is not in doubt the marines will whip the huns and whip them thoroughly you mean that i am needed there that is what i was coming to of course your leave has not yet expired and you are at liberty to remain here until it does but if you feel that you can return to work it will be appreciated by your chief from whom i have had a letter this morning very good mr davis will tomorrow morning be time enough certainly then tomorrow morning i shall go back is anyone going out in a car anyone that i can ride with 
I will endeavour to find someone to take you, and I will call you up about it at your quarters sometime this afternoon or evening. Thank you, added the chief, rising and giving her a firm hand clasp. Grace went out to complete the few purchases that remained to be made, then strolled about until it was time to meet her husband. Together they returned to the Overton quarters, and there had a full afternoon to talk and to exchange confidences. Now that Grace was going back, Tom decided to leave Paris at the same time, though his leave had not yet ended. His journey, however, must be made by train the greater part of the way. When the girls of the unit came home that afternoon and learned that Grace and Tom were going to leave them on the following morning, they protested vigorously, but Grace had decided and no urgings could shake her. She insisted that this last evening must be a jolly one, one that each of them would remember, for it might be a long time ere they met again. A fine dinner was served, and late in the evening there was a marshmallow roast, the girls of the unit and Lieutenant Gray sitting on the floor before the fireplace, singing songs and telling stories as they used to do long, long ago on the Overton campus. Emma Dean's lieutenant came in late in the evening, he having been invited before it was known that Grace and Tom were leaving. Grace was attracted to him from the first. Here was a real soldier, and therefore he was entitled to her whole respect and admiration. Tom liked him too, and when Emma finally announced to her friends that she had promised to be William's wife, there was a chorus of congratulations. Lieutenant Thompson was a young civil engineer from Maine, and he, like Tom Gray, had enlisted as a private, having preferred to do that rather than to go to a training camp and try for a commission. Thompson's commission as lieutenant came to him after short service at the front, and with it a decoration for bravery. That happy evening came to an end at last, and William II was escorted down to the street by the girls of the unit and Tom. At the door they said their goodbyes to him. When they returned to their rooms the telephone was ringing. It proved to be a call for Grace from Mr Davis, who informed her that he had arranged to have her drive out to evacuation hospital number two with a French major, leaving at five o'clock the following morning. Grace turned to face her companions. They understood fully from what they had overheard her say to Mr. Davis, and all the brightness and joy went out of their faces. Tom's being the only smiling face in the room, though his heart was beating a little faster at the thought of leaving Grace for, well, he did not like to think any further into the future. The future had begun to look dark to him for some unexplainable reason. Grace flashed a quick, comprehending glance at her companions as she turned away from the telephone. You girls do not feel any worse about it than I do, but we must all remember that we are not here for pleasure. We are here to do our duty. We are here to serve. Now, run away, Overton women, and give me an opportunity to get to bed. I shall be up by four in the morning, but I do not wish a single one of you to get up. Kiss me good night, and we will call that our goodbye. Emma Dean threatened to cry, but Grace pinched her and turned Emma's attention from her own emotions long enough to avoid the flood of tears that little Miss Dean was about to spill on Grace Harlowe's shoulder. "'We will steal out in the morning and get our breakfast outside,' said Grace to her husband after the others had gone away. "'And now, my beloved husband, let us say our own goodbyes. I do not want to leave you. 
I never felt just as I do now. But if we should never meet again, we shall still be happy in the knowledge of what we have been to each other. Good night, and may our loving Father watch over you and keep you from all harm. The next morning Grace and Tom stole away without awakening any of the girls, both leaving a goodbye message on the table for the girls of the Overton unit. An hour later Grace was on her way to the front beside the French Major, while Tom started for the railway station to wait for the train which was to bear him back to duty and perhaps to oblivion. The parting of the devoted pair had been a trying one, for they felt deep down in their own hearts that this parting meant more to them than any other that they had experienced. In this they were right, for ere they met again, each was to experience all the bitterness of war, its greatest perils and its keenest sufferings, with Grace perhaps the greatest sufferer, for she was facing a fate of which she even now felt a faint premonition. It is war, muttered Tom Gray grimly as he sat waiting in the railway station. C'est la guerre, murmured Grace, whirling along toward the front beside the French major, as if in echo to the words that Tom Gray was muttering in the receding distance. End of chapter 13